0: This is the Scott Radley Show podcast.
1: Poll after poll is telling us that there is absolutely an appetite for change politically in Ontario. And now we know, we know, we've seen it recently. We know how accurate polls can or cannot be. So I wouldn't put all of your money onto a poll. Nonetheless, everything does seem to be pointing towards some kind of political upheaval at Queen's Park. Forum Research today just put out a poll saying that if an election was held today, as you heard on the news just a few moments ago, if an election was held today, new conservative leader Doug Ford and his conservative party would get 44% of the vote and almost certainly form a majority government. The liberals, I think it was at 23, something like that, they will get shellacked if the election was held today. It's not being held today. But here's the question. If we are heading towards... A conservative government, a Doug Ford conservative government, we know roughly what the plan is, or at least what the thought is. It's going to be cutting, it's going to be austerity, it's going to be getting the books in order, it's going to be cleaning things up. That's the, the words we're going to be hearing. Those are the phrases we're going to be hearing. But how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you balance the books in Ontario now in the situation we're in. Well Richard Brennan was a longtime journalist at Queen's Park for the Toronto Star. He joins me now. Richard, thanks for doing this tonight. Hey Scott, how are you? I'm great, but I feel somehow like I'm almost caught in a little bit of groundhog day because while I know a lot of people blanch at the phrase common sense revolution. It kind of has, does this not have a bit of the feeling that you have a conservative, austerity cutting government to be, it sounds like, that may be coming towards us following a small l liberal government that has been spending a lot? And it sounds very similar to me.
2: Well, I've got to tell you, Scott, first of all, if I, if I had a nickel for every politician <laughs> who said they were going to save gazillions of dollars through finding government weight, Waste or through efficiency, I'd have a villa in France, and I don't a nice have a one. villa in France. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I. The point is that it's just. He has said that he, being Mr. Ford, Doug Ford, said that he's going to cut eight billion dollars, or sorry, six billion dollars, through efficiencies. Well, there's only one way to do that, and that's to gut. Government programs, and to let cut staff. That's the only way you're going to do it. I mean, that's where the money is.
1: Yeah, and and back to how we started this thing. That was similar to what when Mike Harris came in. That there had to be cuts. There had to be things. And at the time, at the moment that Mike Harris swept into power, there was a ton of support for that. Until. The cuts actually started to happen, and then started to hit people where they were, and people decided, I think, not necessarily super quickly, but in time, I much prefer getting free stuff than losing free stuff.
2: Well, I mean, it's you know, at least with uh, with Mike Harris in 1995, much prior to the actual election, he, he released the Common Sense Revolution, which pretty well outlined everything he was going to do. There's a few exceptions, like they didn't say he was going to close hospitals. And that really got under people's skin. But people had a pretty good idea what he was all about. And I think that's where Mike Harris differs from Mr. Ford, because we don't know what he's about. This
1: is more of a mystery.
2: Oh, it's, an, it's a blank slate. I mean, really. And, uh, is that
1: intentional, do you think, Richard, or is that just simply a lack of time because of the rush to actually replace Patrick Brown?
2: I think, to give him credit, I think it's a, it's a, it's a rush for time. And because, they, I mean, with it, the craziness we saw with that leadership race and, and, and the debacle that was the, the convention, if you can call it that, uh, they just don't, they don't have time. And they, I mean, they scrapped, they scrapped the plan that, that uh, Patrick Brown had. So now they've got to start from scratch, and, that's, and that's good to, that is going to take time. But when I, when I hear a politician saying they're going to cut billions of dollars from government spending, I have to chuckle to myself. Should government cut back, I think most people would agree to that. But six billion dollars is a huge. It's a lot of money.
1: It's a lot. Now that that said, Richard, a lot of people are looking right now, and we see that Ontario right now is three hundred plus billion dollars in debt, and I think if I read right, we're paying eleven billion a year, something like that, just to service the interest on this. I think most people, many people, are saying we got to do something. I just don't know if they think that we have a plan at this point.
2: But. But people say, we've got to do something, you know, the liberals have been outrageous, you know, they've been spending money like drunken sailors. They want to do something until it affects them.
1: Mm. Yes, 100%. 100% right. Yeah. 100% right. And, and that's why, yeah, c- we've got to cut. We've got
2: to cut. Oh, sorry, wait, you just cut something that I use? No, we can't cut that. Well, for example, the, you know, the $5,000 that you can get on re- replacing the windows in your home. A lot of people are going to use that, Mm -hmm. but if they cut that, well, people say, well, just don't, don't, hold on a second. Don't cut that.
1: No, Uh, find something else that won't affect me.
2: Find something
1: else.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: Continuing our conversation with Richard Brennan, who covered Queen's Park for years and years for the Toronto Star, we're chatting about how is Doug Ford, if he becomes premier, how is he actually going to do all the cutting and make the budget balance and get rid of all the deficit and everything else that he is alluding to? And just before the break, Richard, you were mentioning... And you were pointing out that a lot of people theoretically agree with the concept of cutting and getting a house in order, they just don't like the actual practical execution so much because oftentimes when you execute those cuts, they hit close to home and then it's a bad idea.
2: Well, for example, when Mike Harris was in power, uh, thousands of nurses were laid off. And that's, that didn't go over well, that meant fewer people and nurses in the hospital to look after patients. And and that created its own problem. I mean, you you got to sacrifice stuff if you're gonna going to cut six billion dollars, something has to go. Uh, you know, they might say, well, we, we won't do crazy things like the gas plan, which I think most people will agree was a was a fiasco in itself. Uh, the liberals, but that was a billion dollars over twenty years. That that that. Uh, lame brain decisions, you know cost us, but that's over twenty years. we're talking he's talking six billion dollars over oh God knows how long well, we don't know, but let's let's give him the let's give him a mandate if he gets elected of four years. so he's talking cutting six billion dollars over four years.
1: Well, and part of it, the the fact, now you said, and you were very generous, I think, when you said part of it is that just he hasn't had time yet because of it. And I think you're probably right. But on the other hand, we know, I I don't know if you believe that Tim Hudak lost the election because of his comment that he was going to cut 100,000 civil servants, but I don't think it helped him. Um, It probably is better to just leave things very, very general, if at all possible, and just hope that people buy it.
2: And they will, and and I'll tell you why. I mean, this government's been in power for what since two thousand three, so fifteen years, or almost fifteen years. And it's time, it's time, probably in most people's mind, for them to go. And Doug Harris will see this, or not Doug Harris, <laughs> almost, Doug, yeah, almost. <laughs> Doug Ford uh, will see this as a personal vindication, but he shouldn't see this as a victory. They're... People, if people have made up their mind to throw them out, that's exactly what they're going to do, and it hasn't got very much to do with uh, Doug Ford or the Conservative Power Party. But they are looking for somebody else, and they'd be probably the natural choice. The NDP might argue with you, me, but uh, you know. So I don't think they have to. They they shouldn't take too much uh, uh, solace from from this because it, it is. In many people's minds, it's time to get rid of the liberals.
1: There are Richard, when you have when you talk sports, there are times when you say a team won a game and you can say the other team lost the game. I think there's probably no question right now that if the Liberals lose, it wasn't because the NDP or the PCs won. It's because the Liberals lost.
2: Of course, no, and and you know. So what kind
1: of mandate is that then?
2: Well, that's just it. It's it's a populist mandate. You know, it's bumper sticker politics. It's the kind of politics, in a way, that Mike Harris offered back in 1995. I hate to go over it, it, it history books here, but I was there. And it was that kind of bumper sticker politics that appealed to people, and we're getting it again. And that's what happens after you know, and, uh, and people want to give a uh, show, I should say, an unpopular government, The Door.
1: I, the difference, though, here is that Mike Harris had what, four, five years of reasonable popularity before people started, some people started to sour. I'm not sure Doug Ford gets that amount of time because he, he himself, I don't think, is going to come in as a particularly popular leader. Again, he's less unpopular than Kathleen Wynne if he wins.
2: Well, it, that same uh, poll that you I think you referred to uh, earlier is that 47% of people said they don't like him.
1: Yeah, yeah, but they'll they'll tolerate him because they'll
2: they tolerate it. You know, it's like that. You know, Buxley's mixture. You know, you, you know, it tastes awful, yeah. but it's good. For you. <laughs> and and then that's that's what we're looking at here. It's he is just going to benefit from a government being in power. Some would say too long. All
1: right, so we only have a couple of minutes left here. But let's say, okay, so you've got an unpopular Kathleen Wynne, and we know she's very unpopular. You've got an unpopular Doug Ford, and we've seen already from the polls that he is unpopular. So now you've got voters who are saying, oh, man, I can't vote for either. My third option is going to be Andrea Horvath. Now, in the last election, the NDP tried to go a little centrist and got clobbered. Can they do that again and try to be the centrist party that beats out two unpopular leaders, or do they have to out-left flank the Liberals and go really liberal?
2: Oh, they can out-left flank the Liberals. They're so far left, they make the, they make the NDP look like a bunch of right-wingers.
1: So they have no choice but to stay close to the centre. Yeah,
2: yeah, they're going to have to. Well, they'll have to be basically what they have been traditionally. But they can out-flank the Liberals on the left. They just can't.
1: So if Andrea Horvath doesn't then, in this circumstance, in this situation, if she doesn't pick up significant gains, whether that's by seats or percentage of polls, is she done then? In this circumstance, if you can't make massive gains, are you done as a leader?
2: As much as I like Andrea, I would have to say yes.
1: This seems to be the time when the door would be as open as it ever has been since Bob Ray.
2: Oh absolutely. I mean if this is you know this they're trying to make you know the, the sunshine the haze and all that stuff <laughs> it's it really is time for her if she can answer the bell. And we'll, that's the big question in my mind if she can.
1: Yeah, we'll see because you know what the one thing uh even though they are unpopular you cannot argue that Kathleen Wynne and Doug Ford are not going to suck up a lot of the oxygen in the room. And it's. I think it may be difficult for Andrew Horvath in some cases to just get her voice out there because you're going to have two unpopular people screaming at each other.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. And I tell you, and I think Doug Ford, again to his credit, knows this. He hasn't campaigned in a provincial campaign, and he hasn't debated Mm. Kathleen Wynne. To to come, yeah. She's a tough, tough debater. And and she's very good on the stump, I'll tell you, very good. So, you know, he's really... He We will have to
1: see what he's able to do in those circumstances. Richard, listen, I, I would love to keep talking. We were out of time. i got to get to a break. But thank no you problem, so much. Man. Richard Brennan, former Queen's Park reporter for the Toronto Star. You can hear him often with Bill Kelly. And uh, always great on here. Richard, thanks for doing this.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900-CHML.
1: I want to tell you an incredible story. Well, I'm going to partially tell you a story. My next guest is going to really do the telling. Because two weeks from now, my next guest is going to do something that I think is absolutely remarkable. She will be donating one of her kidneys to a woman who needs one to stay alive. Now, that is by itself, I think, pretty amazing. Although, that part is not all that uncommon. I know a a friend of our family, a son donated one of his kidneys to his father. That part, rare, yes, meaningful, absolutely, completely unique, no. But here's the twist to the story that I find so amazing. The woman that she is giving her kidney to is an absolute, complete stranger. No idea who she is. I mean, she's met her now, I believe. But when she decided to do this, they were strangers, yet she decided she wanted to do this anyway to help someone out. Let me bring her in. Christy Nolan is her name. She's a Hamilton woman who is doing this, a self-employed yoga instructor and maybe the nicest person in the world, from what I can tell. Christy, thanks for doing this today.
3: Thanks for having me, Scott.
1: Um, y- you, you do realize when we go through all this, this is not commonplace for people to do what you're doing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm getting that now
1: a little bit. You're, people are telling you that a lot?
3: Yeah. Most people are like, um, I don't really think you get it. And I'm like, I just, I don't think I do everyone's like this is crazy and i'm like well this i don't know seems kind of normal to me but i don't know <laughs>
1: well okay why are you doing it
3: something with the story really resonated with me and i'm i i can't i can't really describe what it is when i saw when i read that facebook story something immediately inside me was like you have to do this this is like the voice in my head was like Chrissy, this is this is one of the things in your life that you were put here for. And I can't really explain the feeling that I got when I saw her message and yeah, the rest is history. Okay,
1: so let's go back to that because you are well, you take me back. You're on Facebook one morning, one afternoon, one night. When were you when were you on reading this?
3: Um I gosh, I don't remember. Okay. I think it was In October or November.
1: Okay, and you're on Facebook and you're reading and you come across this posting, I guess, or is it a letter or is it just a posting of someone saying what?
3: Yeah, so it was a shared post for a GoFundMe account that Janine had set up. And what it was is she was trying to raise money in order to take out an ad to look for a kidney donor. And she was just looking for money. Um... To be able to fund this ad, and also, like, if you know, if you're interested in donating, my blood type is O positive, and I saw that, and then I just clicked on the GoFundMe page, and I sent her a message, and we took it from there.
1: Did you, at any point, when you first see this, have any skepticism about whether this was real? Because you know, I mean, GoFundMe pages are not always legit. You like to believe they are. Was there any doubt in your mind? You said, "Oh no, this is this sounds perfectly good."
3: No, that didn't, never crossed my mind. Okay. And, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the, the wording of it wasn't like she's desperate for money. It was really like, she's desperate for a kidney. She's so desperate that she's looking for donations just to take out a newspaper ad. And she cut off the GoFundMe campaign as soon as she met her goal because she didn't want people to keep donating.
1: So when you read this, was it, I know you said just a moment ago that you thought this is something that maybe one of my purposes for being here. Was that immediate or did you look at this and, and did that come days later or was it right like that?
3: No, it was right away. Really? And, and Yeah, it was right away. It was like my heart started beating a little bit faster. It was one of those just instant I don't it that's you know it's not something that happens to me a lot so but my reaction to it was just something that I've very rarely ever experienced in my life.
1: Had you ever contemplated being an organ donor for anybody else or any situation before?
3: Only when I was dead. <laughs> okay.
1: <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so you I, filled I, out your card, but no, not like this though.
3: No, because honestly, I I didn't know much about being a living, living donor. I didn't I wasn't really aware of the process. I wasn't even aware that it was something that they did very often. So you hadn't been on
1: a list or had yourself tested. I mean, some people have decided to put themselves out there. Never like that. This was just your your eyes were open to it right away, this way.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. You
1: have done, as I understand it though, to describe you as charitable, you have done some amazing things. You've worked overseas, you've volunteered elsewhere. This is not completely out of character for you.
3: No, and I think the reaction when I told people and the reaction on Facebook um, as soon as the media got hold of the story was, you know, oh, this is, people were like, oh, yeah, this totally makes sense. Like, I could see you doing this. This this is not a complete shock to <laughs> did, hear that.
1: Did you know anybody else who had ever donated an organ before? No. Okay. So this is, I mean, this is totally out of the blue, but all of a sudden you've decided it's just hit you right away that you have to do this.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML.
1: Christy, when, when you decided to do this, then when it, when you came to the conclusion that you were going to reach out, you did reach out. Do you then start doing some research, not only on the process on what it means for you and what you go through? but quite frankly, also on Janine, the woman who you're going to be giving it to just to make sure that, you know, if I'm going to give up a kidney, I want to make sure at least that it's going to someone who is legit.
3: Um, well, for the first part, yeah, I, I people who know me know that I love to do research. And so, yeah, <laughs> I did a lot of research into the process and um, mostly the surgery and Uh, what what my life is going to look like after it but in terms of who she is I never doubted um, I I never once doubted that she was legit and I, I don't I don't know that it would that it would really matter to me who this person was you know she needs a kidney and I'm able to give one so whatever you know, whatever type of person she is or she isn't, or, you know, maybe she made up that she had a kid just to get people to hit their soft spot. For me, like, that would never have been a factor just because she's one of us, right? She needs something, and it's something I'm able to give to her.
1: And... I mean, that's a that's a beautiful position to take. It really is. And, and uh, the the side I'm saying is not so much is she someone who is a, uh, an academic or uh, whatever. It's, is this someone who, uh, I don't want to give my kidney to someone, let's say, who's an intravenous drug user who's going to just ruin their life or, you know, waste this. this. I have two kidneys. Uh, I only can give away one or else I'm dead. So uh, I just want to make sure that if I'm giving it to someone, it is someone who really... Will value it and treasure it that, but that's not what you did you You took her at her at her word, and she was good on it
3: yeah, absolutely and I think you know there's a lot of people who suffer from addiction and maybe that has led them to kidney failure or another disease that affects the kidneys i I don't think that decision would ever i don't think it would change you know for me it, who's to say that they're not going to value it just because they might be you know addicted to drugs or alcohol that could be something that completely changes their life and stops them from doing that too right so that's not my job to um to to give like on the same it's the same thing as people you know when you give five dollars to say like a homeless person on the street and judge them for what they use to purchase with that money Does that make sense?
1: No, absolutely it makes sense, although I would suggest a kidney is a little more than $5, but I know exactly your point. I know what you're saying. Did you Now, before you sign the papers and sign off and say, yes, I'm absolutely in, did you meet her before that happened, or were you... First of all, you have met her, correct?
3: Yes, we've met a few times, but it's been at the Toronto General Hospital when we've both been in for tests. So when I actually got to meet her was the... Second round of testing where I had my CAT scan, my chest x ray, and I met with the transplant team and social worker, and they would determine whether or not I proceed. And that's when I met her for the first time. So it wasn't 100% set in stone that I would pass that second round of tests. So.
1: What was um, that like though? When you meet this person that is not to be overstating it because it really isn't that is about to be part of you. I mean, you already, as I understand it, have a big family. You're now expanding your family because literally a piece of you is going to be in her and you are going to be keeping her alive. What's that meeting like?
3: Um, I, I honestly don't know if that part has actually sunk in yet. I think, you know, getting to getting closer to the actual date of the surgery is it's, it's going to hit me a little bit more. The actual reality of what's happening and the fact that I am potentially extending her life for, you know, how many years I think um, our families are actually meeting together this Sunday. Some of my family members and some of her family members, we're going to meet and have like a lunch uh, meal. And I think then it's going to hit me because I get to meet her daughter and I get to meet her parents and all of these people who have seen her struggling for so long with this disease. And who have probably
1: been every bit as desperate as she has been.
3: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, they. She's warned me that her family is gonna go, um, like, a little crazy. (laughs) In a good way. Yeah, for sure, in a good way. But yeah, I'm I'm excited, and I think that moment—that is when it will really hit me.
1: And and even though you had decided to do this already, did you know that she had a daughter when you first read the Facebook post? Was that included?
3: I can't remember. To be honest, Um, but that
1: just that just ratchets it up a whole nother level.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, and from what she tells me about her daughter, she sounds like, you know, the sweetest kid. And she has told her mom that when she grows up, she wants to cure kidney disease. And like listening to that, it's like, you know, it's just amazing to hear, you know, she's watched her mom go through all of this for so many years go to dialysis three times a week and has been wow. so supportive and so you know kind of taking the role of a caretaker with her and then seeing her want to become someone that can potentially cure this disease it's, it's really special.
1: You have the surgery in two weeks right? Yep. And how? what is the recovery time like for you?
3: So uh, depending on how the surgery goes provided there's you know, no complications. I should be, um, be able to go home after between three and five days. And once I'm home, it's probably about a month or so before I can get back to work. Mm. It just depends on how my body heals.
1: And I suppose, uh, if anything, heaven forbid, if anything ever happened to your one kidney, you just hope there's one of you out there. That's, I mean, honestly, that's the, the, the you would hope that it would be one of those things of pa- paying it forward. I mean obviously they're not the doctors are not going to take your kidney if they believe there's a chance that you are going to have kidney problems, but listen, it is a um it is an amazing thing you're doing. It's a remarkable story and it's a uh, it's an incredible act of generosity to do it for someone that you don't even really know. Um, Christy Nolan, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for taking the time today.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900-CHML.
1: Don Robertson, as I say, of the, um, well, the former Dundas Real McCoys, for this year anyway. Sorry about that.
4: Yeah, well. It happens. That is sports. Sadly, it's uh, happening uh, too frequently in the last couple of years, but yeah, it happens. Well, as soon as you can lure Gretzky out of retirement, I think you'll be good again. You know that's crossed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Which Gretzky? All of them. <laughs>
1: that, would, that would actually be pretty good. Including I would, Glenn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that would be, you know, the hows were aligned together. Why not Wayne between Keith and Glenn with Brent on defense? Kim can even play Kim, if Kim could wants. play. Yeah, so. well, there you go. The five Gretzkys as a line, it'd be that would be, you would fill the building. That, I assure you, you would fill the building. Some nights that's not a bad thing. Uh, speaking of former athletes, I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I just, after yesterday, I don't know if you watched it. Did you watch any of the OJ thing last night?
4: I watched part of it. I watched a lot more of it this morning around 6 on CNN. Wow. For
1: anyone who doesn't know what we're wow. talking about, and I can't imagine there's anyone who doesn't, uh, there was this interview that was done in 2006 that OJ Simpson did with a book publisher for a book that he that he had been signed to do. And I guess the best way to describe what it was was him in the weirdest mental contortions talking about how he might have killed his wife and her friend, the waiter, if he had. But he hadn't. But if he had, this but he hot. hadn't. Yeah. But if he had, this is what he would have done. And so this interview was done, and it was like four hours long, they whittled it down on here, but they showed last night a two-hour thing with a bunch of the different parts of it. And it had never been released before the book. I don't think was the book ever finally published. I don't know. May or may not have been. Um, Anyway, if there's anybody out there, Don, after watching that last night who did what, and I, uh, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I did watch. But if there's anybody out there who watched that last night and still says, he didn't do it. He was framed by the police. That person... Should be kept away from sharp objects because they're a danger to themselves. It's I want, just I wanted who Charlie is because he kept referring to handing Charlie something. Yeah, there was a he basically there was an ac- an accomplice mm-hmm. according to him. Now, some people say Charlie was his alter ego that he slipped into when he went into his murderous rage. Some say Charlie was cocaine some say charlie was an actual accomplice and there have been names that have been thrown around over the years of people who may or may not have actually helped although the police and the invest and the investigators say there was no evidence of someone else there but i just it, it was it was it is fascinating to me not because i am a diehard oj simpson murder fan it's fascinating to me that there is a human being out there with a level of narcissism so high that he would somehow feel he needs to do a TV interview after he gets off for murder to explain how he did it.
4: That's yeah, 22 years old,
1: is it? No, it's more than that. 94. Oh, the 20, interview. Was oh, the yeah. Sorry. Interview. Sorry. But sorry, the murder was. No, it's, it's sorry. It's the the interview was 12 years old. I thought it was oh six. No, not uh, yeah. Oh six. We're in eighteen. There you go. So, but the murder was coming up 25 years ago in a year for now, 24 years, but. It just is, it, it's remarkable to me. You, in the States, you can't be tried twice. And so you are completely. Yeah. Double
4: jeopardy. You are free. And the, so. The, uh, the lady that did the interview was let go by Fox shortly after that. And CNN interviewed her this morning. And that was kind of cool. Well, she was on the show last night as well. And. No, I know. But to see it now, when oh, she I, said, yeah. that's the first time she's watched the mm. interview.
1: Well, and she got, there were some questions raised about why she didn't challenge him on this or challenge him on that. And I, I, I'm, I was okay with what she did because the one thing you don't want to do when a guy, not that I've been in the situation with OJ Simpson or a murderer across from me, but if you've got someone who is clearly describing how he, in the most famous murder of our time, murdered someone and he's just letting it go, letting it rip with his explanation, don't get in the way. Don't get in the way. Let him let him talk. Don't scare him off. Don't spook him. Don't make him lose his train of thought. Let him hang himself. And I thought she did a fine job with that.
4: I can't imagine Nicole and uh, his family and and um, yeah, Ron Goldman knowing Gold, Goldman's family watching it and oh my. But,
1: but how do you? Uh, Here is what I don't understand, though. There are still people. There was something on on TMZ today. It was sent across on a Twitter of people today. Or last night, I guess it was, but posing for selfies with O.J. Simpson. How do you possibly do that now? There's no question after this thing. Here's the here's the part about what he was talking about. He keeps saying, "Well, this is hypothetical. This is hypothetical." But then when they said, "Well, what did you do? Were you wearing a glove, or did you take off a glove?" Well, I guess I did because they found it on my property. Well, <laughs> what happened after then? Now here's the weirdest part. When they said, "So what happened then?" Well, I, you know, he got into this. Rage, and then all of a sudden he's stabbing and everything else. He goes, and the rest I don't really remember. Wait a second, if this is a hypothetical made-up story, how can you not remember? You can make it up to be whatever you want it to be. How do you know? How do you have a blackout in a hypothetical story? I can't write a story for the paper and say, "I'm sorry, the last two thirds are missing because I forgot." What I was going to no, I'm not blacking you, you out. Can, you can, just won't be able to write any more. No, but if you're writing the story, if you are creating the narrative, you don't. You can make up whatever. No, I'm not saying you make up stuff for the paper. My point is that you, if you're making up, in his case, if you're telling a narrative of a made-up story, yeah. you can make up whatever you want. You could say it wasn't and, Nancy Drew. Yeah, exactly. If it was a made-up story, you could say, and then all of a sudden, they looked up and cows were falling from the sky.
4: Well, I like the part where he said, and they pulled around a corner in LA and people had signs, you know, uh, way to go OJ and everything else. Like he said, how did they have the signs made up that fast? And holy crap. Yeah.
1: I, I just, and that again, just the, the narcissism that that's the thing
4: he remembers. But they got him. How many years did he do for something? Seven or eight. Goes on. Seven or eight. Goes on every day in the States and somebody might do 90 days for them seven or eight, but it does make me wonder if
1: somebody might do something to him. And the reason I say that is only because there were a lot of people in the States who were fooled and made to look like an idiot by OJ Simpson. And somebody may just decide you know what you made me look like an idiot and i'm I, we'll see i, well, I mean well, the, the i don't want someone else to go to jail because they take o- take him out that's don't waste your don't waste your life that way the only
4: thing we know is the one not have any trouble finding guns <laughs> that's true
1: uh did you watch any of leaving him aside speaking of the other person who has had trouble in his life but seems to be much more now on the right path did you watch any of tiger woods yesterday
4: i watched cory connor Turned into a train wreck, sadly, the kid from Listwell. It yes. would have been nice to have one uh, PGA champion from Listwell and one from Dundas. Um, and but were yes, you I cheering did. for Tiger? Sure I was. Well, I thought it was good. I was talking the, to, the TV ratings on Saturday were the best they've been in 12 years. I believe it. And so he,
1: why is that? I was talking to Bill Kelly this morning. I was on with Bill, and we were chatting about this, and I wanted to bring it up with you tonight. Why do you think that Tiger Woods retains and
4: remains such TV ratings, PGA Tour ratings gold. Two reasons now. Now he's an underdog and a bit of a train wreck, and everybody likes that. You know, I mean, he's fallen from grace. The people that don't like him take great glee in the fact that he's stumbled around the golf course now for a number of years for... So he's paid his dues. He's, he's, He's done his penance.
1: He's lived in his golf purgatory for long enough is the sense I get because everybody it seems was cheering for him yesterday. Well the networks sure do. Oh, the networks were not hiding the fact that they wanted him. To, I mean, he was on 18 with about a 45-foot putt and they're talking like, "Oh, if this'll
4: just go in." You know. Yeah. Well, he just made one 43-footer I know, on the 17. How many
1: how many guys ever drain 240 plus foot putts in a row? I mean, it's pretty uh Well, the, uh, there most, is luck involved. Most
4: he, of the golf world think there's only one guy that can if he's back, they don't doubt anything he can do. I know. I know. I look, I I just I really felt like
1: yesterday and the day before when this was on, you got the sense that people have decided that he has spent enough time in purgatory. He is he has suffered, he's been injured, he's had his reputation ruined, he hasn't won tournaments, he's been embarrassed, his ego has been shattered, he's been made to be a laughing stock. And, and and as I said to Bill, and I believe this, the one thing about Tiger Woods different from O.J. Simpson as two people who were, came from the height of heights to crash down, different circumstances I understand, Tiger Woods looks like a guy who has made some changes to be more accessible, more friendly, more open. He, he looks like a different person.
4: He's eating a bit of crow. He, he uh, looks more humble. He really when, does. When he dropped that putt on the 17th, years ago he'd have just walked up like, why is anybody surprised I just made that putt? He was pretty pleased. He had a wry smile on his face when that went in. And he was pretty happy and pretty grateful that it went in. And so that humility helps, right? It's a whole different package now. It makes him. I'm sure Nike were happy. Well, I'm sure they were. It makes him
1: an acceptable person to cheer for again. I think I think it's reached the point now where it's. There was a time when you probably would have been one of the minority people on a golf course if you were cheering for him. At that, right after it happened, now if you weren't cheering for him, you would have been in the minority on that golf course.
4: The haters uh, got their pound of flesh. Yep. Uh, yesterday in the interview afterwards, said he's looking forward to playing playing in the Arnold Palmer. Um, invitational, which he's won eight times, and he's looking forward to going back to Orlando, where his children were born. Saying a lot of the good stuff, not saying, you know what? I'm back, and everybody should be put on notice because I'm feeling good. If you he's are not doing that, he and he'll be
1: playing at the Masters, assuming unless he gets injured again. Which you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that as a as a snarky thing. I mean, he has had enough injuries that you. You wait week to week to see if he's going to hold up. But if he's healthy and he's playing, there are already people putting big money on him.
4: Well, how does he? How does he? After yesterday, hasn't won in months. Has years. hardly played three to one odds to win the Masters. I I would say that's wonder for, what Corey Connors' odds are no, after leading good. all uh,
1: all three rounds. I would suggest that the reason for that is there are very few golfers that know the course at Augusta like Tiger Woods. So there's a familiarity there which helps with any golf with any golfer. If you know the course, you have it. You know advantage. it really well the last four or five times you played it and he sucked. No, of course. But it,
4: look I looked I, like I, me. Well it didn't look like me.
1: He if if he is <laughs> healthy. Like me on golf if course. he is healthy and one of the one of the comments that he made on the weekend and I don't know if he's just saying this, or I don't know if he's telling the truth. But he says he's playing by feel again, rather than trying to not injure, not injure himself. If that's if that's true, and if he is out there playing golf because that's I mean he was the best golfer for feel out there. If that's the case, and he's not hurting and he's not worried about torquing his back or anything else, that's why he's a three to one or one to three or whatever it is. I mean it's. Uh, I don't think I don't think he's going to win. I think the odds are just too long and it's too hard a course. There's too many good players. Too out many there good
4: now. players. Like when he was winning, he had to beat four or five guys. It was it was uh, it was like Gretzky. Eight like this guy is the next Gretzky. This guy is the next Gretzky. This guy is the next Gretzky. There was all kinds of next Tiger Woods. Sergio was there. There were all kinds of great players. You know, Phil could go head to head with him and beat him at any time, but only for but didn't very often. Time.
1: All each of these guys rose. That's right. And then were there for a brief time and then disappeared. And the next guy came. Tiger Woods was the one constant yep. who was always at the top until he got hurt. But now, until he crashed into the hype. Now
4: there are all kinds of them. That win all the time.
1: Okay. So that being the case, you got Spieth, you've got McElroy, you got all these guys. Do any of these guys Honestly, do you think, would any of these young guys who are really great golfers, who could win the Masters, do any of these guys want to be paired up with Tiger Woods on the opening day of the Masters at Augusta? I would say that if they had their choice, I want to be far away from that circus as poss- as far away as possible. Because it is going to be nuts if he's there and if he's playing proper golf again.
4: Well, and the expectation is he's going to be in the mix. And that's all he has to... Do is make the have cut. People think he's in the mix. Yeah, make the cut.
1: Be two or three or four strokes out, even, but in the, in contention.
4: I was happy Saturday night when poor Corey Connors, again from Listowel, Ontario, um, didn't have to play in the final foursome with him. Because can you imagine that? I mean, leading three days. I mean, he struggled. You know. Uh, Uh, He was on top of the leaderboard three days in a row. But can you imagine getting hooked up with – it was bad enough playing in the final foursome. And that's where you want to be on Sunday. You want to tee off last. But you don't want to tee off last with Tiger Woods and then have him birdie the first hole and go, holy crap, now what? Well, did you – I don't know if you saw this. You got a nine on the first one.
1: During the coverage yesterday, I believe every person on the golf course, with the exception of a half dozen or more, were in the gallery following Tiger Woods. There were other guys who were huge name golfers, wildly successful guys who have won tons of events teeing off in front of nobody. I mean, there was a smattering of a few people here or there, but every single person on the course had gone to where Tiger Woods was. Several years ago, you and I both know Mackenzie Hughes reasonably well, Dundas golfer. Uh, when Before he got his PGA Tour card, he qualified out of about 10,000 people to play in the U.S. Open. This was back 2013 maybe, 2014, something like that. That's and, how he got the
4: score as a sponsor.
1: And it was at Marion, the historic Marion course just outside Philadelphia. And Tiger Woods played in that event and he was not playing well. I mean, Tiger Woods was a mess at that point. But if you... I was following Mackenzie Hughes because I was there covering him. But a couple times, the way the course is set up, the, the gallery that was following Tiger Woods would pass on a hole on a fairway next to where I was going. And at one point, because Mackenzie was waiting to hit and he was behind another group and there was going to be a delay, I walked over to be part, to see Tiger Woods walk by. Don, I'm not exaggerating. The pack of people had to be seven deep. And I'm a tall guy and I could barely see over it was people were lined up who couldn't see a thing. They could not see Tiger Woods, but they knew they were in the gallery and maybe they would get something out of there. It was it's it's nuts what he is able to draw. And if I am a golfer at Augusta, especially a younger guy who may be a little Oh, not overwhelmed, but taken with the whole thing anyway. And the Masters is a pretty—they're
4: going to be taken by the Masters. Little throw now, you, into yeah. The but
1: mix. I'm saying you have the whole Augusta thing, and now you throw a Tiger Woods gallery into there, and every, and I can tell you this: even the golfers that I talked to at the Masters last year, when McKenzie was there covering it again, even the guys that I talked to who were been there for years, say that when they line up to tee off on hole number one at the Masters. And they are announced as you know, and from Dundas, Ontario, Don Robertson. Not that that would ever happen.
4: <laughs> wow! But back to Nancy but, Drew. But
1: uh, but they say your knees knock. It's like it is terrifying to hit that first drive to make sure that you don't. It's terrifying for me if there's nobody there. <laughs> so imagine now that you are there for your first Masters, or your second, or your third, and you're already nervous. And even the pros get nervous, and now you've got all everybody on the course wants to watch Tiger woods GF and you've got
4: to go before him. I don't think there's a lot of guys that want that. I really don't. No. There's not a lot of guys that can mentally handle it. It's uh... No. So let me ask you this. You're the journalist, and all I do is blab. Um, tell me this. Tell me why Tiger Woods still wants to do this. Tell him what drives him. He's got more money than he'll ever be able to use. Yep. His sponsor, many of them have been kind to him and have continued to support him at different levels, no matter what. He's a multi-millionaire. What drives him to do this after being shamed and uh, gone through what he's gone through? What drives him? I think there's probably a couple
1: things. One of them is anytime you've been shamed in your life. You probably want to show people that you're better than that. I, look, who, who I've never been—I've never been in court facing a criminal charge, but I imagine an awful lot of people who would do, who would make that kind of mistake in their life, would want to do something at the other end when they're cleared or when their time is up or whatever it is, to show that they are better than that. I. But the bigger part is talk to any, uh, you're around athletes all the time. Why, do, why is Lou Lamorello at 70 years old working as general manager of the Maple Leafs when he's got Stanley Cup rings? Why is oh, every person who gets to that level gets there because they are obsessed with their sport. They are obsessed with competition and they have to have that drug of winning that. And that's really, to me, ultimately what it becomes, that winning and performing and being in front of those people, but especially winning is a, an addictive drug. Well, and th- you can't buy that. He's got all the money in the world, but he can't buy that feeling. If he had sunk a couple of those putts and he won yesterday, you cannot buy even a drug that makes you feel like that.
4: No, and he's, uh, he'd still like to win the most majors ever. So And the I, most tournaments ever. I think he's only two away from that or something. And he's going to, if he can get back on track, he's going to say, okay. So I did that and took 10 years of my prime out, cut 10 years. I don't know if it's been 10, but a number of quality years. He's 42 years old. Like, think of Muhammad Ali. What
1: would Muhammad Ali have done if he hadn't lost a bunch of years? There's a bunch of guys. What w- Mike Tyson was different than Ali because he was in prison for rape, but he lost two or three years of his prime. What would Mike Tyson have done if he had stayed clean? And stayed on the straight and na- more straight and narrow. I I really think that you are if you are an athlete and you're sticking around, you are sticking around because of the drug of winning.
4: Well, I I think there's a difference w- with Tyson and, and to a lesser extent Ali. I think it was the money because the money became so huge. Maybe, but even then, Don, I think there has got to be. I've never
1: done it, obviously, but there has to be something so unbelievably such a high when you walk into an arena and every eyeball is on you and yep. you are fighting. And again, it's not something that I've done, but there's gotta be. You can't be, buy that. You can't, there's nothing you can, you could take all the money you have. Tiger Woods could give all the money and say, give me that feeling. And there is no feeling that, unless, what is he gonna buy, ecstasy? It's. I don't even know if that, I mean, I don't know what ecstasy does, but it's, and you're not gonna do that, hopefully. So you chase this, you chase this, and imagine it is un- it is so unlikely that Tiger Woods will win the Masters this year. It's I mean it's just incredibly unlikely. The chances are I don't even know what the odds are. 3 to 1. Well,
4: I don't think they are, but
1: no, I'm talking about the real odds. mean yeah. like, the real chances are probably 1 in 500 or or worse. But if he ever did win the Masters again, that is the most unbelievable epilogue to his story. And Imaginable,
4: it and it won't be the epilogue because it'd be back. And if you get him on that For a euph- while. euphoric juice, the natural juice, watch him run off some. Watch Good. him win it, Watch he him win a
1: few. If he ever, win, I mean, if he if he was to win the Masters, it would. And he knows this. It would be the biggest story since I don't know when in sports.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from six to eight, only on 900 CHML.
1: We may have talked about this before. I don't know if we have or not, but it's it's the the issue for the NHL that never ends. Every time the NHL brings a devises a new tweak of a rule and brings it into the league almost without exception that I can think of lately anyway, it becomes a disaster. So on this this weekend alone, you had Two goalie interference calls, taking away goals that no one seems to understand what was wrong with them. You had an offside play where the player was straddling the line, going horizontally over the, along the line, not cutting towards the net. And a goal happened 30 seconds after that or so, 15 seconds after, and that goal was ruled offside because his foot was up in the air you got other things that are going on. You had the toe in the crease a few years ago with Brett Hull that cost a Stanley Cup. How come the NHL, of all the leagues, seems to be the one that can't figure out how to draw up a proper rule and implement it in a way that is co- coherent for the players, the coaches, the fans, everyone else? This is the only league that seems to have rules that nobody can seem to understand what the rules
4: are, even the people involved. I think what... The- the NHL, one of the things the NHL have been trying to adapt and have struggled with mightily, like the, the Brett Hall and, and uh, the one that ruined the Buffalo Sabres in 1999. Franchise. yep. Um, I mean that was black and white. If your foot's in, it's no goal. His foot was in the count of the goal. Uh, but in today's day and age, when they've got basically eradicated fighting from the game, they've gotten rid of uh, clutching and, and grabbing. The speed of the game is now so fast that they've tried to implement rules because they think it's not humanly possible to call all the infractions. And then they get into judgment calls and they're not consistent with them. The referees aren't. The war room isn't. But should instant... The offsides are like... But these all come come
1: to instant replay, right? All the rules that end up with a mess are all you have the opportunity for instant replay and so uh, is the lesson here not by now let if it's not if it's a judgment call all right if it's black and white maybe that's one thing although even black and white do some of these things work you know it's black but, and white's a new gray but if it's a judgment call it shouldn't be allowed to be reviewed if it's goalie interference, you let the ref on the ice call it as he sees it and you live with it, because as soon as you slow it down to three frames a second or whatever it is, everything looks different than I, 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 the goalie interference thing, to me, the goal that was that Pittsburgh had waved off on the weekend was a goal that has been scored 10,000 times in NHL history. And ,9999 times it was fine, and now somehow it's illegal. That if you touch a goalie in any way, even if you have control of the puck, you've interfered with the goalie and it's goalie interference. It just, it,
4: it, those, are the, the, those are one of the interesting ones. That, I think the one that creates as much confusion as any is when the defenseman is involved. And pushes you. And, and now you get players that were embellishing, you know, oh, Radley touched me, I'm going to fall into the goaltender. And that's where the judgment's really hard because how many angles do you get of the defenseman touching the guy and now you have to self-determine could he have prevented it or did he just let himself go or did he deliberately go in hoping that the defenseman would be called for interference because in actual fact, the thing that drives me a little bit crazy is so if you interfere with a goaltender, that should be a two-minute minor. If the defenseman pushed him in and... That should be a two minute minor. For interference. Of course. I mean if you interfere with a guy and knock him into your goaltender, now the the penalty would get wiped out because it was a goal scored. But oftentimes, you know, if you're gonna take a look at a replay like that and the goal didn't go in, you can still call a penalty, but they never seem to do that. So because no one so challenges them on that.
1: Because it's so inconsistent. And that's what I think everyone is looking at the NHL saying, how can you be the one league that can't establish what a proper criterion is to determine this? Now, like In the NBA, a foul is a foul. A three-pointer is a three-pointer. Whether your foot is on the line or outside the yeah, line. They don't,
4: they don't seem to review a lot of that stuff, do they?
1: Uh, in the, the NFL, yeah, they have the catch thing, but the catch rule is, did the ball touch the ground on the catch? So it is still an objective ruling. It is hard to see sometimes. It's difficult with the angles to make a call, but the the theory or the the idea behind it, it's an objective ruling. Did the ball come in contact with the ground as part of the catch? With goalie interference, it is whatever you decided is that day.
4: Well, I think and I'd be fine if they left it up to the referee's judgment call because I think it's it's a tough game to referee and I think they have the best referees in the world. And I quite frankly think if you pull the coaches right now, they just say, "Just leave it up to the referee. We don't, we don't want to review this anymore." But everything goes back to, at what cost? And we want to make sure. So what's we, the cost? We want to make sure that we get it right. But you're not. So they're. <laughs> well, the the idea is they do. They think they do. They think they do. They don't do that, so they think they can get it wrong. No, but I don't think they can possibly
1: make an argument that if you do, if it's a subjective decision. There's no right. It's uh, going to replay for goalie interference. Doesn't get it right. It, it it by definition it doesn't get it right. It might get it closer to what
4: your definition may be that day, but well, it depends, but dep- depends on your definition of right. If you're the aggrieved team, the Pittsburgh Penguins likely appealed it and still think they got it wrong. But the definition. But if of, they overturn it, then the team that challenged it says, well, that's a good rule because they got it right. But so the definition where of are. goalie interference
1: is did it impact on the goalie's ability to make a save? Well, we've seen enough goalie interference calls this year where some of them are as the goalie is moving towards the shot, he gets knocked over. All right, that would be clearer. But we've seen other ones where a goalie was bumped two, three seconds before a puck went in the net, and they said, yeah, that impacted his ability to get back into the play. There's no solid objective criteria. It's entirely based on what the referee feels it is, and you've got how many referees, and they're
4: all going to have a different opinion. On those calls, the referee clearly doesn't think it's goaltender or interference, or he would immediately call a penalty because the offensive team generally have the puck. So if the referee, by just definition, by him not calling a penalty, he's telling you, I don't think that's goaltender interference, right? Or he'd make the call if he thinks it's goaltender interference. Yeah, but then you go to the replay
1: and it gets overturned. No, but you you don't overturn a penalty. You can only overturn
4: a goal or an offside. So if the if if the referee, by definition of of refereeing a hockey game, decides he's not calling an interference penalty on presumably the forward then the goaltender hasn't been interfered with in the referee's opinion because the only time the uh, offensive guy is interfering with a goalie is when he's going to the net because his guy's got the puck. There should be an immediate call of, of, go- of I- interference, or in that case, goaltender interference. So the referee has said, no, I don't think it was interference, just by virtue of a non-call. The issue ultimately is the NHL creates
1: rules – That are unenforceable because we don't know what the rule actually is or what the criterion or criteria are. And therefore it is left up to the flow of the game for the ref at that time to come up with an interpretation of the rule, which is not the way this is supposed to work. You shouldn't have rules that you can't explain to people. Don, if in, in any sport, if the fans and the coaches and the players are all saying, wait, what? What? I don't understand how that happened. That's a bad rule. That's a, if it, And if it's happening consistently, like these things can happen once, right? There was a, a, a the tuck rule in the NFL happened because it was one instance and that led to a new rule. But this is happening over and over and over and still nobody has any idea.
4: The coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs said about 10 days or two weeks ago, we better get this figured out before the playoffs come. I would think you'd want to figure it out right now and I think that's his inference. But it's broken, and nobody knows what you're calling ever. I don't have so any
1: money in my wallet. I just have cards. But if I had money, if this wallet was jammed with money that I'm holding right now, I would put it in front of you, and I would make a bet with you that there will be a key, significant, impactful moment in the playoffs this year that will be changed by a call that no one understands. And that's when someone will
4: finally say, we got to fix this. See, I think you're wrong. I think it be more than one. Well, okay. So I'd win the bet. Too bad you haven't got any money. That, that's fine.
1: But it, it is going to come up, and it's going to come up at a bad time for the NHL because Murphy's Law di- dictates that it must come up at the worst possible time. And that's when everyone will finally say, well, this is a dumb rule. Why didn't we do something about
4: well, it? Well, it'll, it'll come up when it matters. Right now, if it's Phoenix and uh, Dallas. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's 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 one that it comes up when it matters, and that's when you get the bad press. But they're getting it. They're getting it now. They're getting okay. bad press now. Okay. So based on the goal that was taken
1: away from Pittsburgh on the weekend, and if anyone didn't see it, what happened was the Pittsburgh player got the puck on the goal line beside the Toronto net, probably about ten feet away, and cut towards, made a hard cut right along the goal line to the net, and then basically followed the line of the crease. He didn't go through the crease. Followed the line of the crease and went around and tucked the puck in around Craig Anderson. But what happened, not Craig Anderson, against... um, Frederick. Frederick Frederick Anderson. But as he went by, he bumped Anderson's head. Now, it it wasn't a violent thing. He bumped his head. That was ruled in the regular season as a no goal. That kind of goal will happen in the playoffs where you have a lot more traffic around the net. And so every time a goalie is touched now by that definition... The goal must be waved off. It's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous. And the NHL will have nobody to blame but itself when people are looking at it like it's a Bush league because a potentially Stanley Cup winning goal or elimination to a team goal in overtime is allowed for something that wasn't allowed a week or two ago or isn't allowed for something that no one knows what it is. It's, it's, It's just a mess. It's a mess. Anyway, I hope, I would just love that the NHL, when they come up with a rule one of these times, would do what they did once upon a time. And that was, there was a day that they would test these things out in the AHL first. And the AHL is a good partner. It's a farm league. And it used to happen in Hamilton. The first shootout in a game was in Hamilton before the NHL adopted it. When they used to have the extra wide blue lines to see what would happen if you doubled the width of the blue line for offsides, that was done in Hamilton first. The three-on-three overtime was done in Hamilton in, in the AHL first. Test these rules in the minors and see where the problems are and see where the glitches are and then bring them to the NHL once they've been resolved.
4: The only argument with the goaltender interference that we're talking about is the NHL have cameras in the ice. I mean, they have cameras absolutely everywhere. And I they, know. And this AHL isn't blessed with that type of uh, camera work. But you can still
1: call the goalie interference. You can d- write the rule. Well, they may well have done that.
0: It's they just didn't. not working. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900-CHML.